Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas can shape markets, but more importantly, they can change the world. One of the things that resonates with leaders is their, the imperative, the imperative to create highly engaged cultures. Why highly engaged cultures? That why is something that um, when I ask people, they all have different answers. But there's also these students who've of people, culture, and change that I've found in the world, and they become our teachers. They become our icons, if you will, that show a light on how to do things in a much um, more dynamic and efficient way. And one of those leaders I found is Siobhan McHale. Siobhan, great having you on The Great Conversation. Great to be here, Ron. Thank you for inviting me. Siobhan is the Executive General Manager of People, Culture, and Change uh, with the Deluxe Group. We can get into that in a moment, but that isn't why she's on this broadcast today. She's on this broadcast because she's written an insider's look, if you will, to culture and change. It's called the Insider's Guide to Culture Change. And we're going to get to the why of her journey and how she uncovered uh, the ideas around this book. So Siobhan, let's start with day one. How did you get involved with culture and change? Thank you, Ron. I, I spent the first decade of my career as a management consultant, basically jetting in and out of hundreds of organizations around four different continents on four different continents. And after a decade flying in and out of these organizations, I sort of hit the wall in my career and wanted something more. There was something missing for me. So I joined a series of organizations as the executive in charge of change and transformation. And in these insider roles, I learned something, a series of things actually, that I didn't learn as a consultant, as an outsider. And that was really what I wanted to capture this insider's view on change, which, which does look and feel different when you're inside an organization, I think. Absolutely. So the book really revolves around four different pillars of the change effort. Tell us about that. It does indeed. The first uh, step in successful change, and by culture, I might just take a step back. By culture, I mean how things function in the organization. And often people think that culture is just about employee engagement and the employee experience, but actually culture touches every part of the organization from how you research your marketplace to how you design your goods or services to how you manufacture or produce them to how you sell and service your products. So it, it does cover how the organization functions. And I was interested in how organizations can deliver, grow and adapt more successfully, particularly in turbulent times. And one of the things that managers at all levels need to understand is the power of the first step, which is to diagnose what's really going on in the organization and beyond. And that first step, Ron, is often what's missing in, in change efforts, I find. Uh, one of the most famous quotes I ever read by Steve Jobs, he said, um, and he was talking about marketing. He, was, he did not like how marketeers marketed. And the reason he didn't like it is they asked 
the customer what they wanted. And he goes, why would you do that? How can a customer imagine the next generation of technology? What you have to do is study how people perform roles in a process. And, I, and that resonated with me because at the time, that Ooh. was my management consulting effort doing those things. So in your diagnose function, what is your recommendation to leaders on how they do that? What's the best way to really understand how people function? The, the best way is to take a step back. And I often compare this to sailing a, a ship. And as the captain of the ship, you don't spend all of your time on deck. Uh, obviously, there are merits in walking around the deck and seeing how the ship is functioning. But also at intervals, you need to step onto the bridge. Now, on the bridge is the captain of the ship. You can see what's emerging on the horizon. You can see the storm clouds. You can see the winds of change. You can see new territories appearing on the horizon. And often this is where leaders um, fail. They keep, keep on working uh, on the deck rather than stepping onto the bridge, if that makes sense. So take a step back and really start to examine what's going on in your organisation and that often means uh, asking multiple stakeholders how they see things operating, not just one key stakeholder. Who's asking those questions? In a, in a, and what we should have done is opened up by saying, you know, you've done this. You've done a major transformation effort once you had your methodology down with two banks. And uh, it took you, what, seven years, eight years? Yeah, the transformation at ANZ Bank took uh, seven years to turn the bank around. So everybody on this broadcast, just understand, when we're talking to Siobhan, we're not talking about theory. We're not talking in a business school setting or a book she read. We're talking about real life experience here. So how would you propose who diagnoses the culture? Who does that? I think this is where the value of an external advisor can come into play because often in culture we get caught or we come blind, become blind to the patterns that are running the organisation. So in the ANZ example, we had a team of external consultants help us to see what was going on, but you have to be able to, to get out of the pattern. So at ANZ, for example, one of the things I noticed because I look for patterns is when I walked into head office, there were, uh, you know, plush carpets, there were gothic marble pillars stretched out into this, you know, the ceiling of the foyer. There were beautiful sunlit offices. But walking into the bank branches later on that week, I discovered that the carpets were frayed, the walls were peeling, there were long queues of customers. So though those were two different worlds, head office, which was palatial, and the branches, which were really in disarray and not being invested in. So that was data about what was going on in the culture, Ron. That was one of the first sets of data that I picked up in the diagnostic. Wow, that's amazing. So if you're one of the branch offices, you're, you're saying, hey, you know, there's, there's one there's one edifice, this palatial palace over here with a lot of people who aren't in mm -hmm. touch with the business. Exactly, exactly. So, Interesting. Yeah, so, so then you ask, yeah. so, sorry, then you ask, well, what do I do with that data? And how can I intervene in a way that's most powerful? That was the second question. Yeah, so 
the diagnosis is the who, you probably are going to bring an external advisor because you're too close to the trees. You've got scotomas or blind spots. So you're going to bring in that external advisor. Somehow they're going to help you get on deck or they're going to get on deck and bring you the data. And then, um, and then what's the second step? Well, the, I think even before you get to that, the, the, the trick is to see the pattern because you could oh. say, well, customer satisfaction was very low. So you look, we looked at the data at the bank and we saw that the bank had the lowest levels of customer satisfaction of any big bank in the country. Now you might say, right, well, that's the branches and the branch staff are not delivering customer service to the customers. So we've got to intervene there. We've got to train those people. But actually what was happening was there was a pattern of relatedness between the head office who was in role of order giver and the branches were in role of order taker. And there was an agreement between the head office and the branches that you take the orders from head office and you are to blame for the poor customer service. So this blame pattern was going around and round with head office blaming the branches and the branches blaming head office for the problems with customer service. How interesting. So the data, you know, statistics can lie, right? Uh, depending on how you look at them. Mm. And uh, a great advisor then would bring you the patterns that you don't see. Back to the scotoma. The patterns are the agreements between the parts that are seldom explicit, but they're actually what is running your business. So these agreements and seeing that agreement of the blame pattern, I called it, between head office and the branches was critical in breaking through this dysfunctional culture because then we reframed. So we reframed the role of head office from order giver to support provider. So we said to them, your job is to support the branches in terms of their strategy, their IT, their HR, their risk management, their legal advice, and we reframe the role of the branches from thinking, well, we're just victims. We're just waiting for head office to give us the order and we've got no say to actually you are service providers to the customer. And every decision in relation to the customer, you have the ability to make and that will be enabled by systems and processes. But that reframing really was the start of a seven-year journey to turn the organization from the worst performing bank in the country to the highest performing bank in the country and the number one bank on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. Yeah, you, this is fascinating. I can see where it would take a while because this isn't just training them on a new way of doing things. It's reframing the story they've been telling themselves for so many years. Exactly. And, trust, and trusting that there is a new story that would would uh, help them all improve. Absolutely. So essentially we're reframing the mental map of their role. So if you think about it, we all have a mental map of our roles. Like you might get up in the morning and think, oh, I'm in role of spouse or partner to my, we talked about your wife earlier, and you're in role of husband. And then you might have, if you have children and you meet them in the corridor as you're getting ready, you step into role of parent. 
And then when you go to work, you might be in role of colleague or boss or subordinate if you meet your boss. Or after work, you might go out for a drink with a friend and you step into role of listener. And each of these roles, you have a different mental map of that role. You don't need a training course to tell you that you need to be in a different role as a, as a father, as you do as a, a boss, for example, and hopefully you would see those role distinctions. And this is happening every day at work, even in the same meeting, even now as we're talking, we're in role of listener, responder, questioner, explainer, storyteller, um, joker, you know, we were having a laugh earlier. Um, you know, it's, it's these mental maps shape our behavior in a way that's just as powerful as our personalities. Look at the pattern, diagnose, recognize the patterns, recognize the underlying stories going on that support those patterns, and then what? I think reframing as well is a major one. Reframing at an individual level, reframing at a team level, reframing at a department level. You can even reframe the role of a business to bring about faster change with less noise, which is exactly what we did at the ANZ. We didn't intervene at the level of the branches and say, we're gonna send you all to training because you don't know how to serve a customer. And in fact, if you did that intervention, can you imagine the noise that it could potentially create? And this is happening all the time. People are intervening in the wrong place and it's producing unintended consequences. So if you see the pattern, you can see how it's co-created and you can see how the reframe needs to change how people are seeing and taking up their role. So reframing the head office to from order giver to support provider, reframing the role of the branches from victim and really just being in, in this role of order takers to service provider to the customer. So that, that seeing the pattern, reframing the roles, breaking the pattern. So you see the pattern and then you, you know, one of the key third step is to break that pattern. So knowing that it's there, Rather than just role modeling, leaders have to actively, role modeling isn't enough, I often say, you have to break the pattern. And that pattern is often very deeply embedded. It's a well-worn pathway in your workplace and uh, you have to see it to be able to break it. Well, even uh, since you, you, started, you started with the reframing, which is the new story, how do you come up with the new story? How do you do that? Because you've got, you've got what's the patterns in front of you, but you're going to have to get out your syllabus. It's a new language you're teaching them. Mm. And it's a new way that language is told with uh, between parties in the organization. You've, <laughs> you've got people ensconced in the palace and others in the field. And mm. how, how did you do that? Did you start with one branch and one executive? I mean, how did you do, how did you get started with reframing the story? Yeah, reframing the roles. Well, firstly, often you can reframe at a collective level by redesigning your operating model. There you go. So you redesign your operating model and in that redesign, you reframe the role of the parts. So you're reframing head office, this is your role. You're reframing the branches. You're reframing all the support or enabling functions. 
And then by rolling that out, how we rolled it out was via a three-day workshop, which we sent the 600, top 600 leaders to initially. So I always say culture change is leader-led at all levels. So it's not just about hierarchical, but we sent the top 600 leaders to this workshop. And then progressively, we rolled that out over a seven-year period to 32,000 people at ANZ. So a mammoth effort, and this is part of what my team at ANZ was doing. Uh, eventually, I took over as head of the transformation, um, and we, we basically kept on rolling out this workshop across 32,000 people and other projects as well to keep the foot on the change accelerator, I, I, I called step number four. So you're constantly keeping your foot on that change accelerator. I see so many managers who start a change initiative and then run out of puff, run out of energy, and you've got to keep your foot on the change accelerator. Yeah, it has to be that one thing. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember what you called that workshop. What was the communication to the top 600? What, how did you frame the title of that workshop and the why of that workshop to those 600 leaders? So this was a culture change that was owned by the CEO, John McFarlane, at the time. And in a meeting with McFarlane, he kept using the word breakout. I want people to break out of the old ways. I want them to break out of the old thinking. I want them to break out of the old habits. So we actually named the whole change initiative breakout. And it was a word that emerged from him. He was the chief change leader and this is one of the big areas where people go wrong during culture change is that they delegate the change to HR and that's always a disaster because not because HR are incompetent or incapable but HR cannot lead culture change from their role within the organization they can enable the change but it must be leader-led at all levels. So if I was one of the 600, I got an email from the CEO saying I yeah. invited as a leader, as yes. 600 leaders to the, uh, the breakout. To the breakout workshop and you must attend. Right. And here's what I expect from you. I expect you to break out of what you've done before. Yeah. So then over the course of three days, they were... Um, told what the journey was, told the rationale for change, reframed their role. So one of the five values in the organization became lead and inspire each other. So this value was really an invitation for every single person in the organization to lead and inspire each other, not wait for leadership from above, but to become a change leader. Okay. And um, yeah, and over the course of the seven years, the profits doubled and uh, the share price as well trebled. So we were seeing incredible financial, it wasn't just a feel good, the, you know, culture change is not a feel good. Culture from my perspective is a commercial imperative. And I know people talk about culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, Peter Drucker's famous quote, but I always say that culture is not a competitor of strategy. Culture and strategy are not in competition. Culture is an key enabler of your strategy, not a competitor. <laughs> and, I, and here's what I also love. Um, when we introduced you at the beginning of this podcast, 
if you heard, you, you didn't hear me call Siobhan a human resource executive. And yet, if you think about it, the research, resources and assets that she facilitates are all about people living within a culture, creating dynamic change. What a, what a great story, Siobhan. And uh, we're gonna make sure we put a link to your book uh, in the descriptor of this podcast so people can go out and uh, hopefully be part of cultural change inside their organizations. Thank you so much, Ron. I really appreciate the conversation today. It has been a great conversation with Siobhan McHale.